called Near to the Heart of God. It's one of my favorites. Um, it's good to see Doris McLaughlin here this morning. She had her knee replaced a couple weeks ago. And it's um, the only reason I'm, she hates it when I talk about her. She doesn't like to be embarrassed. She brought her own footstool to church today. I thought that's the neatest thing. It's a great idea. None of you get that idea in your head, though. We already have enough sleepers in church, okay? So... Um, only if you have knee surgery can that be done. Titus chapter 3 is where we're headed this morning. Titus chapter 3. And last Sunday, I have to tell you, this auditorium seemed like a pretty serious place as we dealt with the first heart parasite, guilt. And unfortunately, it doesn't get any easier today as we look at anger. And we're beginning in Titus chapter 3. We'll read the first seven verses. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, Deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Today we're going to be talking about adding by subtraction once again. And minus anger plus forgiveness is the topic. And let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact that your grace has appeared, that the love of God through Jesus Christ can save us and can give us mercy. And I pray that you would help us to learn today truths from your word that would help us to be a people who love mercy for others and who love forgiveness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you listen as the pastinas sing one of my favorite songs, In Christ Alone. Comforter, my holy no, here in 
the love of Christ I stand. In Christ the Lord, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith. His gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid, here in the death of Christ I Body lay, light of the world by darkness lay. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am With the precious blood of Christ No guilt in life, no fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, nor scheme of death can ever blot me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll Faked you out, didn't they? <laughs> All glory to God. You know, at Centennial, um, when we clap after a special or after, a, after somebody plays the piano, we're not clapping for the individual. We're clapping as glory to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Um, I don't know if you're like me and you've ever hit your thumb with a hammer. How many of you have actually ever done that before? Um, or sliced your finger open while you were cooking. Yes, and uh, had blood mingled with tomatoes. Um, just, just being real here. Um, you ever, when something possibly in one of those events may have slipped out of your mouth, and you said, I don't know where that came from. That's not like me. I normally don't talk like that. And we talked last week about how everything that's bad comes out of our hearts. It doesn't go into our body, it comes out of our hearts. 
And I quoted Pastor Andy Stanley from Georgia last Sunday um, on a quote on guilt that I really like. Here's what he says. Guilt says, I owe you. A debt is created in the heart that can only be removed through authentic confession. And, And we described what that is. It's not just confessing it to God. He already knows about it. It's talking to the people we've actually wounded, that we've actually hurt, that we've actually offended. And you might remember that we talked about the difference between continuously taking care of the fruit that falls on the ground versus taking care of the tree that's dropping all the fruit. And it's the same way today. Um, We deal with the fruits of anger in our lives all the time. Words that are said, looks that are given, things that are spoken, frustration in our hearts. And we think, oh, if I could only get rid of that frustration. If I could only not hate that person anymore. If I could only not feel that way or not say that thing. But those are just the fruits. The tree's still in there. And so today we want to deal with the tree. Because out of these tree-like parasites that invade our hearts, anger is the most obvious and it's perhaps the most dangerous one. Um, We read in the text today that Paul shared with Timothy what the natural man is like before he meets Christ, before he understands God's mercy on his behalf. And uh, look back at it, if you would, Titus chapter 3, just show you kind of what we're talking about here in verse number 3. For we ourselves were sometimes foolish. Does that statement describe any of you? Where sometimes we were foolish. I know it describes me. Um, Sometimes disobedient. How many of your parents would attest that that's a true statement? Okay. Uh, Sometimes deceived. Ever been tricked by somebody? You thought that they were the nicest person on earth, and then they took your money. You thought that he was the best salesman on the lot, and your car turned out to be a lemon. And apologies to all car salesmen here in the audience today. Um, Serving divers lust. So doing something or thinking something just because I feel like it and pleasures. But then at the end of the verse, living in malice. That's quite a phrase. Living in malice. I mean, what does that even mean? We're going to talk about in a while it, it means living in constant anger. Living as an angry person. Proverbs calls him the angry man. Living in malice and envy. Hateful. And hating one another. Now that's what the natural man is like. But once we meet Christ and we understand God's mercy on our behalf, things are supposed to change. Um, Human flesh has a natural propensity to anger to malice, to hatred. Those are words that are used in the Bible. But that is certainly not God's plan. Um, He wants us, look back up at verse 2. He wants us to speak evil of no man. Can you imagine that? Imagine if you lived in a world where nobody spoke evil of each other. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, you can shave your head and go live on a mountaintop and you still can't get away from it because you'll mutter things about yourself from time to time. We all have this propensity to speak evil of each other. 
So he says to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, to quit the fighting, to quit the fisticuffs, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And that's the model that we're shooting for as we kind of go through this passage today. And as we look at this topic, God wants us to be gentle. He wants us to show meekness to everybody in our lives. And you're probably going to disagree with what I'm about to say right off the bat. Um, And uh, it's going to hit you and you're going to have to process it um, because this is not really intuitive. It's not something that we naturally would think in ourselves. Here's Here's what it is. Listen closely to my statement. We get angry when we don't get what we want. We get angry when we don't get what we want. Now, what we want may include what we deserve. Because after all, who doesn't want what they think they deserve? If you work a job, you want your paycheck because you deserve it. And if the bookkeeper at your office didn't give it to you or held it back, that might make you angry. Right? This is just a natural scenario. Uh, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't be upset about it. But even in this situation where your anger seems justified, it really boils down to the fact that you didn't get what you want. Even if it's what you deserve, you didn't get what you want. Um, You were behind someone who was texting in traffic and you missed the green light and you got angry. And with your kids in the car, you said things that you don't know where that came from. You're not like that, right? Um, And why did that happen? Because you didn't get what you wanted. What did you want? A green light. Somebody stopped you from getting what you wanted and from what you deserved. And maybe you were at the, the, uh, the big long line. Have you ever been to the DMV? And you take a number. And uh, before the number system, there used to be a lot of line cutting at the DMV. And, you know, there's a lot of angry people at the DMV. Now, they're angry because they have to be there in the first place. They're angry because they have to stand in line. And if they think that you violated what they deserve to be at the front of that line, talking to someone who has very little patience, then they will get angry at you. Why? Because they didn't get what they want. And so anger, that's really what it is. And we're going to get to the basic element in our lives. Um, I want you to think about a time right now in your own heart when you were really angry. Go ahead, think about it. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, I've never been angry. You just don't know me. I just, I've never been angry. I want you to think about a time when you've been really angry. Right? Think about it. Is it in your head? Isn't it true that the entire situation could have been reduced down to this simple idea? You wanted something, and you didn't get it. You wanted to be treat with, treated with honor and respect, and you weren't. You wanted something, and you didn't get it. And that's where anger comes from. And we're going to begin with this 
First thought in your notes, and I hope you'll follow along. Notes are provided in your bulletin. First thought is this. Somebody owes me. Somebody owes me. When I don't get what I'm convinced that I deserve, or when I do get what I'm convinced I don't deserve, a debt scenario is created. There's a debt that's created. Chances are, you know one or two people whose father or mother ran off with another man or woman. And the odds are pretty good that these people have or have had some anger issues. That's to be expected. Something was taken from them. Dad or mom made off with their opportunity to have a normal family. Dad or mom stole the family unit. And so dad or mom may have the tree of guilt growing in their hearts because they feel like they owe the kids or they owe the spouse. We talked about guilt last week. But the rest of the family may have the tree of anger shooting up in their hearts because they feel like he owes them or she owes them. And a kid who's coming out of that situation has every right to be angry. Somebody owes them. Let's say it's the dad. In this case, it's their dad. But what if dad convinces the kids that he had to leave because their mom never blah, 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 or she always blah, 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 blah. Well, then mom owes them too. So dad owes them, mom owes them, and you show me an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. Show me an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. And I guarantee you that person is hurt because something has been taken. Somebody owes them something. At the very least, an apology. Have you ever thought that? He or she owes me an apology. I'm not getting up off this couch until I get an apology. You owe me an apology. What is an apology? It's words. Two words. I'm sorry. Don't you just love it when your kids, when you force them to apologize to each other? You can't hit your sister, son. I want you to apologize to her right now. Sorry. Like, wow, that's heartfelt. That's special. There's an attachment going on there. And it doesn't take care of the root of anger in our hearts. It's just dealing with the fruit that drops from the tree. And so somebody owes you or somebody owes them. And we all know people whose anger could be expressed with things like this. You took my reputation. You stole my family. You took the best years of my life. You stole my first marriage. You robbed me of my purity. You owe me a raise. I deserve a vacation. You deserve a break today. Remember that one? You owe me an opportunity to try to work at this thing. You ever heard this one? You owe me a second chance. I know I messed up, but I worked hard before that, and you owe me a second chance. Or how about this one? You owe me affection. You owe me affection. I've given you love, and you 
owe me affection. And the root of anger stems from the fact that somebody owes you something. Now, like any of the other parasites in your heart, anger can never just sit around. And that's, that's a fable that we believe, that I can be angry and it just, it just affects me. It won't bother anybody. Anger's not a big problem. And some people would even go to this extent. They say, I like how I feel when I'm angry. It's a little weird, right? It's like somebody saying, I like how I feel when I have the flu. Right? I like how I feel when I'm in the restroom upchucking. I have to tell you up front, I don't like how I feel when that happens. Uh, I'm from a long line of people who believe that um, regurgitation should not take place. Um, My grandmother is down here today. She's almost 91 years old. And God bless her. It's so good to see her every Sunday when she's here. Um, But she has a son, my father, who is uh, 61 years old. And for, I think it was about 35 years, he always would tell us that he never threw up. He, he went on a Cessna airplane when he was about 16, and it made him up chuck. And for, after that, for about 35 years, he refused to throw up. I don't know exactly how you do that, but he did. He refused to do it. He's not going to do it. And uh, I don't know how we got on that rabbit trail, but it's about anger. And about what's inside of us that feels like it needs to come out. But like any of these other parasites that we're going to talk about in your heart, anger can't just sit around. If anger is lodged in your heart, then before long, this next part of the message takes place. So we go from somebody owes me, now to the second part, everybody owes me. Everybody owes me. This is why we sometimes refer to another person as an angry person. I mentioned a while ago that the book of Proverbs calls this the angry man or the angry woman. It seems as if he or she is angry all the time with just about everybody. And anger becomes the official demeanor of this person. They have the constant angry look on their face. Now, some people are just naturally gifted by God with an angry face, right? I have to work at it all the time um, because my wife has told me for many, many years that my natural face is a face when I kind of, my. she says my, I don't even know what it means, but my face wrinkles right here. And I don't remember the exact term she uses. I'm knitting my eyebrows. I don't know how to knit in the first place, but apparently I know how to knit my eyebrows. And And when I'm just sitting thinking about something and my eyebrows knit, I apparently have an angry type visage. And this disturbs other people around me. And so I have to work at it. And so you have to put the the smile on your face and show God's love, right? But but sometimes we, we meet people who have a constant angry demeanor. And the closer you get, the more likely you are to get dumped on by this person. For their anger to affect you or to spray all over you. And when it happens, you're going to find yourself asking, what did I do to deserve that? What did I do to deserve that? Which is the same thing 
that they're angry about. They feel like they did or didn't deserve something. Here's the answer. You didn't let them have their way. You didn't let them have their way. Do you know that's all it takes? Have you ever tried to make an angry baby happy? Uh, you, if you didn't let them have their way and you have no idea what their way even is, then they're going to yell and scream at you. And you could come in in the middle of the night and go through the checklist. Clean diaper, check. Food in the belly, check. Is the baby teething? Nope. And yet the baby's still screaming. Why are they angry? We don't really know. We haven't ever come up with the exact idea of why that takes place. And that's how it is with angry people. We don't know, but we just know that nothing pleases them. Even if you let them have their way, you're still going to mess it up somehow. See, extremely angry people have already decided that you won't get it right before you even try. They've already decided ahead of time, you won't get it right before you even try. I have been with extremely angry people to a meal out to a restaurant, and I don't care if the waitress or the waiter was, you know, an angel of God offering them a meal. They will not be pleased. There will be something wrong with that waitress or waiter. The waitress or waiter cannot get it right. It's impossible because this is an angry person we're dealing with. And they're angry at everybody and it comes out. They can't let you get it right. Here's why. Otherwise, they would lose their excuse to stay angry. If they let you get it right, they lose their excuse to stay angry. And so this truly is a sick person, right? But the anger is a heart disease. And people with anger growing in their hearts are sick. And sick people act sick. Now, I've been talking in this point like you're a victim. As if you know rather than may be the person with an angry heart. And in a crowd this size, I just have to guess that we have some angry people here today. We have some people who are dealing with anger in your heart. And the root is in there, and the tree is in there. And so, I want you not to think like a victim right now. I want you to consider whether you might be an angry person. If you're not sure which side of the equation you're on, I can tell you how to find out. Just sit down with the people who are closest to you, And ask them if you're an angry person. Whoa. Hold up there, pastor. I already told you, I'm not an angry person. How dare you tell me to do that? I'm not an angry person. Why should I sit down with my family and ask them if I'm angry? I'm not angry. Right. Uh... I I get it. I know. But maybe you should just ask and listen to the answers. Now, see how the answers make your heart respond. Here's the deal. When our hearts get stirred, that's when we become most aware of what they contain. When our heart gets stirred, that's when we find out what's in there. And if your family and your friends are afraid to even answer the question, 
Seriously. If they're afraid to even answer the question, you might have an anger tree in your heart. If you feel compelled to interrupt them or defend yourself or explain yourself, you might have an anger tree in your heart. If you find yourself wanting to run away or find yourself getting angry at your friend for answering a question that you asked, yep, you more than likely have anger lodged inside of your heart. And knowing that is a wonderful thing. It's like we talked about last week. Once you find out that guilt is the parasite that's in your heart, that is an amazing breakthrough. Because now God can work on that. But if I won't ever admit that I'm a person with an anger problem, guess how well God can deal with my anger problem? He can't. Because I keep coming to God and saying, God, I'm not angry. I don't have anger in my heart. Instead of saying, God, is there anger in my heart? God, if there's anger in my heart, would you show me? God, if I'm angry at someone in my life, would you point that out to me? So knowing it's a wonderful thing. Here's the deal. Just like Gil, which we talked about last week, anger thrives on secrecy. People like to be secretly angry sometimes. And exposing it is very painful. But just like it's painful, it's also powerful. It's very powerful to expose anger. And I could tell you this. If you do have a heart full of anger, it's not going to be a shock to those who you love most. They've known for a long time. Right? It's not going to blow them away. If you step up and say, hey, could I ask you something? Am I an angry person? They're not going to have the dismayed, shocked, surprised look on their face. They're going to be thinking about time. Right? I mean, if you've got a big tree growing out of your head, and you walk up to somebody and say, hey, do I have something growing out of my head? And they're like, um, duh. Have you ever looked in the mirror? Right? It's, it's, it's the same kind of thing with anger. They've known for a long time. In fact, they've probably been praying that one day you'd wake up and see it for yourself. If you're angry, I'm sure that you have a story to tell that leaves no room for doubt as to why that's the case. Sometimes angry people don't want to let their story out because it'll lose its power. And they will lose their excuse to stay upset. Occasionally I deal with people who have a deep anger problem. And I say, what is it? What's the root of this? What's it go back to? And they say, you know, it's silly. It's silly. It's, It's kind of dumb. I don't really think I should get into it. Well, if it's silly or dumb, why is it affecting your life? If it's silly, why don't you just put it out there? Now, on the other hand, you may be the kind of person who tells your story every time you get a chance. You want to be understood. You enjoy the sympathy. And your story not only explains your behavior, it also justifies it. It's a built-in excuse for everything you or others don't like about yourself. Your propensity to overreact, to say things you regret, 
to punish people around you, to lash out at those who don't meet your approval. It explains why you have a a bad temper and why you're moody and why you're unpredictable and why you react the way that you do. Because you are a victim. And victims are powerless. Victims have no control over their lives. They're at the mercy of others. They can only react. Victims are held prisoner by circumstances beyond their control. And a victim will always, every time, have an excuse. And they can write off just about any kind of behavior. After all, look how he's been treated. Look how she's been treated. Look what they've had to endure. What should we expect from someone who has suffered like that? And so you come to believe the lie. It's okay for you to behave the way you do. You have no choice. You have every right to be the way you are. The truth is, if I heard your story, I'm sure that I would agree that you have every right to be the way you are. In fact, I may want to go with you to hurt someone. I'd probably believe your story. I'm sure it's true. I I know it is. But my question to you is this. Do you really want to stay that way? How long are you going to allow people you don't even like? People who are no longer in your life. Maybe even people who aren't even alive anymore to control how you live. Really? How long is it going to be? Seriously, take out a calendar and pick a date. Pastor, that's silly. It's ridiculous. Really? Here, here's what's ridiculous. is to continue to allow the people who have hurt you the most to influence your current and future relationships. That's what's silly. In fact, that's tragic. So let's talk about fixing this. Third part is done to me versus done for me. Done to me versus done for me. You know, it's easy to believe that the only fix for anger in me is payback. After all, isn't that how you settle a debt? What other option is there? People ought to pay what they owe. To cancel a debt is to let the guilty party off the hook. They need to pay. Otherwise, they'll probably turn around and hurt somebody else. Tragedy is that in most cases, the perceived debt can never be paid back. How do you pay back your 25-year-old son for not being there for him since when he was 10? How do you pay back for that? How do you pay back someone you've verbally or physically abused? This is where we have to gain the perspective of what's been done to me versus what's been done for me. Look to Matthew chapter 18. Great passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 18. In this passage, the disciple Peter who always had a knack for getting himself into trouble, got himself into trouble. And he came to Jesus, and here's what he did. He took a stab at guessing just how far forgiveness should go. I want you to look at it. 
Verse 21, Matthew 18. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, and I kind of see, or I have to read between the lines here. I kind of think Jesus may have chuckled a little on this one. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. <laughs> See, here's the deal. Like us, Peter assumed that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. Forgiveness is for the person who did the thing wrong. Forgiveness is for the person who hurt somebody else. That's what Peter assumed. And that's what we assume too. And then Jesus gives this striking parable and he blows the whole concept out of the water. And if you've ever read this parable before, it really is mind-numbing. Look at it, verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents, which theologians figure to be millions of dollars in value. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. He was afraid of the consequences. And he worshipped him and he said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Erased the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. A couple bucks. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. And Jesus gives this parable that just really strikes a chord with us. Instead of considering what had been done for him, this worthless servant could only see what had been done to him. He couldn't understand that millions had been forgiven him. He knew that somebody owed him a couple bucks. You understand the difference here? He was looking at what had been done to him instead of when, what had been done for him. That's what the parable is all about. And you know, that's exactly what we do when we allow anger to stay lodged in our hearts. And the warning that Jesus gives at the end of this, oh my goodness, look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Now, the warning of Jesus here is incredibly clear. Here's what it is. Forgive every time. Forgive every time. Now the only way that's possible is to be, like the Bible says in Ephesians 4, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's the only way to do it. Only in view of the cross can it be done. See, in the shadow of my hurt, 
Forgiveness seems like a decision to reward my enemy. In the shadow of what they did to me and how I was hurt and how I was wounded and how I was offended, it seems to me like that if I forgive them, I'm saying what they did was right. That's the shadow of my hurt. But in the shadow of the cross, you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is just a gift from one undeserving soul to another undeserving soul. In the shadow of the cross, I understand that I owe much more than I could ever pay. In the shadow of the cross, I see that my sins are so great that there's nothing I could do to ever pay them. So the shadow of the cross is the valuable approach to look at here. Jesus' message to us is this. If we hold out waiting to be paid back for the wrongs that have been done to us, we will be the ones to pay. But if we cancel, if we cancel the debts owed to us, we'll be set free. See, forgiveness is for the benefit of the offended. We think it's the other way. Peter thought it was the other way. Forgiveness is for the benefit of the offended. So that I don't get a tree of anger and bitterness and malice and hatred growing inside of my heart. Forgiveness is to set me free. By saying, you know what? You did something wrong to me, but I did much worse to Christ. My sin nailed him to the tree. And in the view of the cross, I can forgive like this. Forgiveness becomes the path to freedom. It becomes the path to freedom from the death that anger brings. And we forgive because we're forgiven. Because we look at what's been done for us instead of what's been done to us. That brings us to this last point in the message, which is the decision to forgive. The decision to forgive, that's what it really comes down to. Forgiveness is a decision. It is most certainly a decision, but it's more than that. It's more than a one-time thing. It's a way of life. It's a gift we are to be constantly giving because Christ gave it to us. We are called to cancel debts just as fast as they pile up. That's what Jesus is telling Peter. If he does the same thing to you 490 times, you still forgive him. Like, whoa, I don't get that. And we covered the opposite of this in guilt last Sunday. But anger, unforgiveness, bitterness will grow in there. And this doesn't really mean that forgiveness will be something we feel inside. It's not going to be something we feel like doing. I don't know that I've ever felt like forgiving. My little sister, Laura, I have four little sisters, and the youngest one's right down here. And she's about 10 years younger than I am. But my sister, Laura, is three years younger than I am. And one night on the way home from church, I was innocently teasing her. This is when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Just innocently. Not a big deal. Just, you know, kind of brother-sister banter back and forth. And that delightful bundle of joy, this little girl, took the seatbelt in the middle of the old station wagon, wound it like a lasso, and sent the metal part toward my head. And it hit me right here. And blood began to squirt and explode. 
I have to tell you, I don't feel like forgiving that. I never have. That's yeah, under the bridge. I did many things worse to her. Um, I got her back plenty of times. So we don't feel intuitively as fleshly creatures. We don't feel like forgiving because somebody owes us a debt. Right? That debt is there. It's real. You owe me. Somebody owes me. Everybody owes me if I'm not careful. And so I don't know if I've ever felt like forgiving. Forgiveness runs so contrary to our human sense of justice and fairness. We live in a world where we say, everything's got to be fair. Everything's got to be just. I'm going to be doing a series the end of May on this that covers how Jesus was not fair. I just blew you away with that. Come back at the end of May. Um, but the scriptures never present forgiveness as a feeling. It's a gift that we decide to give in spite of how we feel. And so I'm going to give you at the bottom of your notes today four parts of this that I think could be so beneficial to you. Even if you sense that there's a tiny root of anger in you, or if you sense there's a big tree in you, or if you do sit down and ask people, do I appear to be an angry person? And they're hem-haw around, well, you know, I didn't want to... Um, these are things you can do. First one is this. Identify who you're angry with. Identify who you're angry with. And I know that's not proper grammar, but, but I want you to get the point. It might seem silly to do this, but it's very important. Make a list of the people who have mistreated you. Make a list by name. Make a list of the people who have taken advantage of you. And don't assume you've forgiven someone just because you've put it behind you. Something we say quite often. Ask in your heart questions like this. Who do you hope to never see again in your life? Right? Would that indicate somebody that you're having a problem with forgiveness about? Who do you hope you never again see in your life? I will not get into death wishes here. But who do you find yourself having imaginary conversations with? Right? You're driving down the road and all of a sudden you find yourself talking to this person who you haven't seen for 15 years and it doesn't seem strange to you? You don't think there may be an anger problem? Who do you find yourself having imaginary conversations with? Who would you like to pay back if you thought you could get away with them? Who do you desire to see fail? You're hoping that they fall down. You're hoping that their life gets messed up. You wouldn't mind if something bad happened to them. Think about it for a minute. Go ahead, poke around in that heart right now. Family members, friends, ex-boyfriend, ex-wife, deceased parent, work associates, coaches, bosses. Determine right now, by name, on your list this week, or today, even right now, who they are. Make a list. But then, next thing is this, determine what they owe you. Determine what they owe you. See, a lot of times we forgive generally, but not specifically. And this is where the parable we read in Matthew 18 is so helpful. 
Look at it again in Matthew 18. Verse 24, and when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. There is a specific amount given here. There's also a specific amount given in verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him 100 pence. The amount is given. Just as the king forgave the specific amount owed him by the servant, we have to determine exactly what is owed to us by those who have hurt us. So you know what that person did, and you know you don't want to see him again, but what exactly did they take? And until you know the answer to that question, you aren't ready to forgive. Until you know the answer to that question, you may go through the motions of forgiveness, but experience no freedom from it. General forgiveness doesn't heal specific hurts. So I have to ask, what did they take from you? What would they need to return in order to put things back the way they were? Is it an apology? Is it money? Do they owe you time? Do they owe you a marriage or a family or a job or a reputation or a promotion, an opportunity, a chapter in your life? Be specific. And then the third one, and this is the most important because this is the decision to cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. After you've clearly identified what's taken, it's time to decide to cancel the debt. Just as Christ on the cross canceled the debt that I could never pay and you could never pay, you and I must cancel the debts others owe to us. There's different ways to do that. You, I've seen, heard of people who sit across from somebody in an empty chair representing that person and have a conversation with them. Tell them what they've taken and how you have chosen to cancel the debt. You could list on a piece of paper what the person owes you and put it in an envelope and burn it. Some people do that. Some people write the list and then bury it in the backyard. I've even known people who write the list and then nail it to a cross as a reminder that Christ already suffered for those sins. I don't know what your idea is, how you're going to do that. Um, But for daily offenses, you might just go to God and say this. Heavenly Father, so-and-so has taken this from me. Name it. I have held on to this debt too long. I choose to cancel this debt. So-and-so doesn't owe me anymore. Just as you forgave me, I forgive you so-and-so. And you could pray it to God that way. And, it, and then there's a question that comes up. Is it necessary to tell the person? And the truth is, no. In fact, unless the person apologizes or asks for forgiveness, you normally shouldn't talk to them about it. Um, it could do more harm than good. In many cases, the offending party doesn't feel like he or she's done anything wrong to begin with. And sharing your decision to forgive could be taken as an accusation. And so you've got to do your part by canceling the debt. A lot of times we say, well, I'll forgive as soon as they apologize. Right? That's what we say. As soon as they say they're sorry, I will forgive them. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to forgive immediately. I'll talk to you right after about it. 
We forgive immediately and we let the chips fall where they may at the cross. And so this is where we come to. Now, let me share with you this last part about dismiss the case. Dismiss the case. Here's what's going to happen. For a while, you are going to have to make a daily decision not to reopen the case. And you're going to have to make a daily decision. I'm not reopening the case. See, I already said this, but feelings don't automatically follow our decision to forgive. Forgiving doesn't erase memories. And when those memories come, go ahead and face them. Allow yourself to remember and even have emotions. But then take the opportunity to say it again in your heart. He or she, whatever their name is, doesn't owe me. Thank God for giving the grace and strength to forgive. As I close, I want to say this. The the truth is, nothing can make up for the past. You can't pay back a missing relationship. You can't pay back a reputation. You can't pay back a criticism or innocence or purity. Those debts cannot be repaid. An apology does not erase the experience. But if you don't cancel the debt, that experience will continue to hurt you over and over and over again. The tree of anger that may be growing in your heart today can only be taken away in the shadow of the cross. And if you're here today and you've never been to the cross and you've never received forgiveness for your sins from Jesus Christ, we can tell you how you can do that this morning. Let's bow. As you bow, <clears throat> let me ask you quickly, with no one looking,